Hi, folks. This is Barack Lurie at the Lurie Law Podcast with my friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. And uh, today, I need to talk about something that I heard briefly in passing from a um, a show that uh, Dennis Prager had. And I really want to quote him on this because it was such a brilliant observation. I even wrote to him about it. um, And we're going to talk about it at our next uh, Prager University board meeting, I'm sure. Um, And that is this. I always thought of evil as dark. And of course, it is by its nature very dark. It, It harbors, it, it comes from the very darkest resources of our soul, our collective soul as, a, as the human species, right? Um, but he says, and I think he's correct, that when you were looking at evil, you were not looking into darkness, into this big black hole, as it were. You were instead looking at a very blinding light, it's as if you're looking at the sun. You wouldn't stare at the sun, right? I mean, if to, to, to stare at the sun would blind you. you turn your head away. And that's the way it is with evil. Evil causes us to turn our head away. Uh, I mean, the, the point is so clear. It's like uh, when you watch a horrific film, a movie, right? And we cover our eyes. We turn our eyes. Or maybe better yet, uh, if you know the, the certain very disturbing scene is coming up, maybe you go out then for the popcorn <laughs> or the bathroom. Um, you, you just don't want to be touched by it for some reason. And that's the way the nature of evil is. And uh, there's so much to discuss about this, but I want to first set it up just so. And really, uh, Dennis Prager, I, I really thank you so much for kind of showcasing as, it, as you did I, you know, it's funny thing is that he kind of said it almost in passing, uh, but it was such an astute point. I, I think he doesn't even realize how astute his points are, even when he's just kind of saying something in passing. So uh, that's how brilliant he is. I, I wish I had one-tenth of his uh, brilliance. Look, um, if we look at the sun, we're going to be blinded, right? And there are times where we don't want to discuss something. It's so horrific to talk about that if we, we fear that just by hearing it or by learning about it, I'm not even talking about looking at a bad movie or just, just hearing a report. And I'll tell you a report that I find so disturbing. The images are so disturbing. So uh, I want to warn our, our listeners that in about three minutes, I'm going to say something that's a very disturbing image. Uh, and we listen to these things, hear them, uh, read them, or sometimes see them. And, we turn our way, our eyes. Uh, we don't want to hear them. We feel like it will affect us. It will change our very DNA, so to speak, because it will forever be in our minds, right? Um, and that's why we don't want children, after all, to see certain things, right? We, or t- certain topics, for that matter, we don't want to discuss because it's going to, once they learn it, it changes them. And that's the way it is with evil. All right, here's the horrific thing that I wanted to talk to you about. And I just learned about it. It's in Korea, North Korea in particular. You know, the savagery there is so unique that what they do when they want to punish children is that if they, if the children, for example, are caught taking too much for themselves, food-wise, or otherwise doing something that they perceive to be bad, uh, they will set off 
um, hungry dogs on them. There was a report from a guard who managed to escape North Korea, and he saw uh, two dogs attacking and devouring three children um, who were had done something wrong for whatever reason. And these dogs had been made to starve for days on end. And when they saw those children, well, and then they, they slathered them with, you know, no doubt they slathered them with blood or whatever to, to make it more appetizing for these dogs. And that was the end of those children. That's how they died. That's a disturbing image, right? That's something that you didn't think about before, did you? Part of it is that we, we don't want to know what's, what we're capable of as human beings. I, until I heard that story, I didn't think anybody would, it would never have entered my mind to do such a thing to another human being, right? The worst thing I could think of is, you know, gouging somebody's eye out, setting him on fire or shooting him, right? That's, that's, that's like about the best I could think of in terms of being graphic and evil and such. You'd make a terrible villain. I apparently, apparently, well, any of those three things are, are pretty bad, right? But nevertheless, that's about where my imagination could possibly take me, and it's a horrific thing. Uh, still, uh, people apparently do far worse things. And this is, um, this is why we have to confront this. We have to look at the sun, as it were. Because, and that's where the analogy breaks down, because if you do look at the sun, the only result will be that you'll, you'll go blind. You're, you're not going to improve the world by looking at the sun, right? Whereas if you confront evil, if you recognize evil for what it, what it is, it can galvanize you and say, this is horrific, I'm going to do something about it, right? Uh, now, this happened to me and, and my lovely wife, um, we, you know, one of the evils I think that we have, and it's very different than evil committed upon human beings, but it's uh, horrific stuff that goes on with, with animal slaughter, just horrific. And it's getting worse and worse every year. Why? Because, you know, meat producers need to constantly keep the prices down, right? They have to compete. And so they're treating animals as products. And when you do that, you find, try to find ways to make it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And the only way to do that with animals is by giving them less and less space, right? Because it, there's rent involved, right? And rent is usually per square foot and so on. And you want to make sure that each cow produces more milk per cow. So the way to do that is pump them up with antibiotics and then cheaper and cheaper antibiotics. And, of course, you don't let them see the daylight. Terrible things are happening in, in the meat industry. Terrible. And uh, I know that I might be insulting a couple of uh, listeners here. But the reality is that's what's happening. What about insulting me? Well, I know that you're sympathetic to this plight as well, even though you're not a, a vegetarian yourself. But and I, I still like fish, but I don't think fish are treated one one hundredth the way that the cows and chickens and pigs are. So, look, uh, it, it's horrific. And I, and all you need to do is go to a slaughterhouse one day, and that will convert you. If not immediately, not forever, at least for quite a few weeks, you'll say, okay, I don't, I don't like that. But the stories that are coming out of these places are really just horrific. And, and, and these are not even human beings we're talking about. But your, your sympathy should, not, should, should at least know some bounds when it comes to animals. Animals shouldn't suffer. 
Okay, they, they can die, but they shouldn't suffer. Even when we ex uh, exterminate cockroaches or termites or mosquitoes, we don't advocate for doing it inhumanely. That's right. Yeah, we do, so basically just kill them on the spot. And insects are certainly different than, than animals are, but, yeah. but, but we just kill them. It's not as if we yeah. you know, try to milk them for all they're worth for a very horrible existence during their lives, and then we kill them. No. Or extend their pain any more than needed. That's right. So uh, animals really suffer. And I tried to explain this to my wonderful wife. And, she, and I, I said, can you believe this? And I start describing it. And she says, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Because she knows how disturbed she'll be. As I said before, it will go into her DNA and it will forever affect her. She doesn't want to hear it. And I say to her, yeah, but you continue to participate in this by continuing to eat a lot of meat and a lot of chicken in this process. So anyway, I, it, it is, you know, I, I don't want to alienate listeners, but this is an example of what I'm talking about. It is something that is pushed off to the side. It happens in other places, um, you know, but it's happening here in California. It's happening here all over the United States. And the meat gets to your plate somehow, folks, and it's not a pretty picture. And if you ask yourself how the meat gets to your plate, it may disturb you. It may disturb you a lot. And maybe that's okay with you. I'm not saying you're a bad person, but you should know how it gets to you. Don't, don't fool yourself into thinking that the cow was grazing beautifully in a nice luxury pasture out there and that he was, he got plenty of sunlight and he's, you know, milked only once a, or she's only milked once a day. He's uh, right. That's right. Well, that'd be a big <laughs> that'd problem. That'd be really but, bad. But if she's only milked once a day, you know, it, it's, it's just this halcyon image that they push out there that's just horrifically wrong. And uh, so, so you want to eat your meat? It's fine. I'm not saying anything about that per se. I'm simply saying know how it got there. Now, you and I are Jews last time I checked. Yes. I personally agree with so much of what you just said. And I have a personal problem with Jewish, uh, with uh, kosher slaughter. Can you comment on that and how the, the looming contradiction some people may have with your respect for your faith on the one hand and some things that are part of it, balancing out your right. outlook right. on the subject? Look, uh, my... Because you do admit that some animals are raised humanely, organically, free range. Yes, absolutely. But but that's you know even though the dispatching isn't pleasant for them. Uh, you know that that fraction of those of those that are treated humanely and you know what is it called grass fed and roaming and even though those are terms of art that are not necessarily applicable. I mean the, the fact that they grass fed uh, chicken, for example. Maybe grass-fed like five minutes in the day, and then then he's well, I'm not grass-fed. I'm talking cage-free, not living cage in cages or right, right. whatever. But, that but th th those are also terms of art, so don't yeah. be too impressed with that. Uh, but but to your point, a kosher and such like that, you know, in the in the Bible, it teaches the kashrut, the the, the laws of being kosher, basically loosely translated, uh, and it says, you know, God doesn't want us to eat meat. God God wants us to eat as we did in the Garden of Eden. But he recognizes that people are weak and that they have a taste for meat. And he, God says, fine, I'm not going to stop it. But if you're going to have meat, here are the rules, he says. Right? And he says, uh, you know, you got to do it, uh, you know, kill the, the animal humanely. You've got to make sure that it doesn't suffer. There's all sorts of things that you, you have to allow for the cow. Um, and there are only certain kinds of animals that you can eat. Uh, you get the idea. 
and I and I appreciate and respect that that it's certainly more humane the way that the kosher cow is killed than the non-kosher cow is killed. Anything goes with the non-kosher cow. Oh well, I was actually making the opposite point because in the modern age, yeah, the kosher or the halal slaughter in the case of Muslim meat, right, is worse and less humane to the animal. Oh, I, I, I you might be right, but I can't believe that that's the case. Oh, it, it is. Okay, well, if, it if was it one of those YouTube videos, stare at the sun moments that okay. I saw, and I, so I thought you were going to go in that direction. I, I, and I think it's horrific, no matter how you slice it. Literally speaking, yeah. Um, pardon the pun. But th- there is, it's horrific no matter way, which way. But to, to answer your question, how do I reconcile these two things? There is no reconciling. God doesn't want it. God, God would prefer us not to. God, it's not as if God likes us eating animals. He doesn't. He, re- he rejects it. Um, and he tells us, I, I think specifically, he made life as unpleasant as possible for you to choose to eat meat as possible. If you really follow the kashrut, it would be so burdensome that you would get to the point where you'd say, to hell with this. I mean, really. Yeah, give me some lentils. Right? Yeah, give me some lentils, and, and, and people basically go vegetarian. Maybe not vegan, but they go vegetarian. Uh, they'll have the milk and cheese and such, which is not great. Animals still suffer under uh, with, with milk and cheese, but still it's better than, than killing them. And uh, But... It, if you really followed it, you would say, to hell with this. It's too much trouble. You have to wash the, the, the dishes separately. You have to have two separate sinks. Um, you, you have to be careful about every friend's house that you go to. You have to make sure that their house is completely kosher. You can only go to purely kosher restaurants. It's very alienating. It's very ostracizing, right? Yeah, you basically have chosen not to ever have any friends. Right. And, and do you think God wants that? God no. wants us to mingle. Right. God, that, that's the best way to be good to each other is to get to know each other and to be friendly with each other and do good to each other, right? How can you do that in the best way possible when you're, when you're ostracizing yourself via your own diet? And how can you do that if in so much of the world, if you go to someone's house and they offer you something, it's a mortal insult if you don't eat it. That's right. That's right. So, so look, in, in the old days, and I, I kind of went backwards on this, um, but God also didn't like slavery. God said, all right, Jews, I really don't like slavery, but I see that it's prevalent in the world, and there's, it's very hard for me to, to say no to, to, to doing that. But if you're going to have a slave, here are the rules. And every slave... $14 an hour. <laughs> that's right, something like that. That's right. Pension. Well, that would be ridiculous. It was seven fifty an hour at the time. That was a long time ago. Inflation. <laughs> so... But that was, uh, just for the listeners, that was a joke from a previous podcast. That's right. Yeah, yeah, economics. Um, so, no, you had to make sure that he didn't work on Shabbat, which is Saturday, uh, Friday, Friday night to Saturday night. Uh, you had to make sure that he had the right to be able to buy his own freedom. You had to give him many breaks throughout the way, uh, throughout the day. Um, you had to make sure that he had a complete uh, kosher meal. I mean, all sorts of requirements associated with it that eventually Jews said, to hell with this. <laughs> it was too expensive. It was much more economical for them to hire people to do this or that job for them. And Jews ended up not owning slaves. Uh, that was the way it was. And I think that the kosher laws are designed exactly for the same reason. God is basically pushing us away from meat, saying, "You, if you want to eat meat, fine, but here are all these rules. And those rules are extremely onerous. So when people say, I eat kosher style, I'll, I'll go to a, um, 
when I go to a restaurant, I will I won't eat any meat there. I might eat fish and such, but they're they're cooking on those on those same uh, stoves, right? Where there were unkosher uh, chickens, they're not observing the kosher laws. In other words, yeah. not truly, right? So. Uh, and then they go to each other's homes and they make all sorts of exceptions. They're not really being kosher. So my theory is that, uh, you know, that's what we're really doing. So I hope that answers your question. But it goes back also to the question of evil and what we do about evil. That we, we talked about uh, in a previous podcast about the end of history, right? And there is no such thing as, as the end of history. We know that. Oh, well, we hope not because that right. would be very bad. <clears throat> right. Yeah, I suppose there can be an end of history. Yeah, if, uh, if a big comet hurts the Earth and kills right. us all. Kills us all. Well, <laughs> arguably, yeah, the, this is the end of human history. There might be continuing universal history. But here's, here's the problem, is that evil doesn't end either. And too many people think of evils as something of the past. Do you consider evil eternal, the way God is referred to as the eternal one? In other words, I, I hold out hope. Because I believe God is eternal and God is all powerful. That if we can summon the strength and be on God's side, etc., etc., in, in enough aggregate numbers, we can defeat evil someday. Yes, I think. It doesn't mean defeating all bad things from happening, i.e., an asteroid hitting Earth. I mean, right. that's more an accidental collision. But I believe in the possibility of destroying evil. Permanently. Yes, I, and look, here's an example of where. I think your your point is underscored, which is slavery, for example. There still is slavery in the world. They, it's not maybe not by country, but there's human trafficking, which is essentially slavery um, in the world, but it's very, very minimal compared to the slavery that used to pervade the entire world. Yeah, people who do keep slaves are not marketing that they're doing so That's to right. others. They're, yeah, there's not title on, yeah. on this or that person that you're selling. Uh, it's, a, it's a horrific institution. So... You know, there's that promise. There's hope that if we get rid of slavery, that we can get rid of a lot of different things. Um, and uh, but but we know that the only way that that's ever going to happen is uh, by following the Ten Commandments. That's it. If if you if you disab if you abandon God, evil will quickly come into the picture again. It's it's always the case. And this is the, the nature of my book that I'm writing is that atheism kills. It is, it is the highly destructive force. Yeah, that's the name of your book. Atheism and Eating Meat Kills. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, that's uh, right. I had an idea about what you said about North Korea and the, the fact that most people don't want to see those horrific things. In that um, so often we who are civilized want to mete out justice and retribution against those who are evil in ways that fit our context and constructs of what is civilized. And when you see something like you described, and there are much worse things out in North Korea, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yes. Well, but, I, when you, I but, you, to, but let's just stick yeah. with what you did describe. Right. There is no way you can then, in terms of either hypothetically or uh, tangibly, in the act of bringing the perpetrators of such a thing to justice, think that justice would then be uh, sentencing them to a long span in San Quentin or even a dignified death in the gas chamber, electric, cha uh, electric chair, or uh, lethal injection. The, simply, the, the civilized punishments and justice system of the Western world does not adequately confront what they have done in any sort of reasonable way. Thus, 
One of the things that are, people are apprehensive about, about being changed when they witness such a thing, is that their, uh, say, constructs of what is just go way off the charts. Because in order to do fair retribution, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, kind of biblically just right. retribution, which, which, them, you have to think of something really... Yes, uh, it's a good point. I mean, to, to do... To do, if we ever caught Hitler, for example, right? I mean, it's such a good example of what you're talking right. about, or Mao Zedong, um, and and try to ha hold them accountable for what they did. Um, it, it would be just such a horrific thing. I mean, it certainly belongs in hell, um, and to be tortured and and uh, you know everything that you can imagine be done to him. But that's not what our society is. I mean, even when they caught Eichmann, who was you know such a Nazi henchman. Um, they just hung him, and uh, that was a, a quick death for him. Yeah, and leaves a hole in the heart of those who meted out that justice. A way of going, well, did we really satisfy right. the justice? S Saddam Hussein uh, also died the same way through hanging. Uh, but the, the the crimes that he had committed, I mean, he would just throw people off of buildings um, to say nothing of the um, the other things that. That he did that I can't even speak about right They're now. They're just unmentionable, unmentionable stuff. stuff. Just, yeah, yeah, unmentionable. And uh, this is the the life that they um, that that we have to deal with. And the only way, the only way, I'm convinced now, for the true harmony in the world to exist is to teach the Ten Commandments and to live by the Ten Commandments in the um, in the simplest, most straightforward way. These are ten simple rules. If you follow them, great things can happen. Not only will evil cease to exist, but great things can be accomplished. Both yeah. of those things. And great things will just happen by, by miracle or happenstance, if you want to believe, or because of our collective actions. That's it. And how we deal with each other. Right. There is, there is but one door uh, by which we can achieve true greatness, and that is through the Ten Commandments. Now, um, we, we have... You know, the atheist will say, well, what are you talking about? I'm an atheist, and I'm a great guy, and I don't want to hurt anybody, and I want only the best for everyone and my neighbor and stuff like that. Okay. You know what's really speaking when you say that? You, centuries and millennia of your teachings, it's in the mother's milk, right, uh, this notion of the Ten Commandments. So you're, you're still practicing the Ten Commandments while at the same time not, not acknowledging, acknowledging or accepting their existence. You're still doing it. Now, Woody Allen has such a brilliant joke about this. Yeah. He, he wrote a joke. Early in his career, they said the definition of a hypocrite is an atheist who writes a book and then prays that it sells. Right. And what you're basically saying is even though they self-identify as this godless thing, they're still practicing a right. form of religiosity and faith in their day in day out actions because they're, they're not acting in a purely godless sense. They understand there's... Uh, retributions out there that they don't want to mess with by just doing any sort of excess against their fellow man. Right. They, they do. And yet they, they kind of push some of the boundaries like Woody Allen himself has pushed, you know, recently and also with his, uh, his daughter and such like that. He's, he's a man of questionable morals himself, but, but he is, he is the very hypocrite that he's talking about. Um, he, Maybe he doesn't write. Well, he does write books for one thing, and he hopes that it sells. And he and he makes movies. Yeah. Like, and he's that, not a godless man. He is Jewish, 
And he's a godless man. Oh, he is? He's Jewish. Okay. Well, I didn't bring him up as an, an yeah. example of an atheist. I just thought the logic of that joke right. exemplified what many atheists do Correct. when they prove they're not the true atheists that we see when you see a pure orthodox atheist like in North Korea. Right. That's an entire society uh, based right. on an orthodoxy of atheism. Right. These are people... These are the Raskolnikovs of the world, is what I call them. Raskolnikov, the character from Crime and Punishment, who truly believed in atheism, almost like a religion, and um, decided to practice it. And he felt that the best way to practice it was by killing somebody uh, that he felt was useless to society, and he was doing a favor to society by killing this old woman. And, uh, and he goes about it, and then, of course, gets wrecked with guilt, and then discovers God in the process. But that's another story. Point is that um, you can never truly appreciate fighting evil until you accept and embrace the Ten Commandments and actually live by them. And, and, and we don't realize it, but we're all living by it. Those who are good actually end up living by those rules, or at least most of them. Uh, and, and, and those who truly follow all of them will do great things. Yeah, and I'd like to add, as, as a, uh, in the Christian sense, as a flawed sinner myself, you don't have to succeed. Right. Trying is enough. That's right. Because if you try to follow thou shalt not murder, 99% of the time in, in the people who live, don't commit one. Right. If you do your best to thou shalt not steal, you're probably not going to do a lot of thievery. Right. You, you know, it, it, trying is enough in That's most right. cases with and, this. And a lot of these are, are not hard. Right? Oh. <laughs> I mean, if you take any one of them, they're not really hard to do or to not do, as the case may be, especially the prohibitory ones, right? Don't commit adultery. Okay, you know what? You don't have to commit adultery. It's not that hard to avoid doing that. It, at least, at the very least, you know that it's wrong, okay? Uh, to recognize that God is, there's only one God. Great. Uh, not to murder, like you said. Not to steal. Not to bear false, to give uh, false witness. Not uh, to take the Lord's name in vain and preach a false God to others. It, these are basic. It, but if you were to do that, think of the effort. How much work you'd have to go through to... Right. To, I mean, it's a big pain in the butt. That's right. We're not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, the, and not coveting, which is, to me, such a... It's my favorite commandment, in a sense, is to not covet, because I see how destructive coveting is. Um, and But that's, that's where we are. Yeah. The hardest one, believe it or not, I believe, is honor thy mother and father, because all of us, at some point, can get pretty angry at them. Yeah. And, you know, we have to go, oh, but, Yeah, that's right. My but, job is to honor them, right. you know. Honoring them doesn't mean you have to like them. Right. Honoring just simply means you have to respect the fact that they raised you, that they they you know prevented you from getting killed as a small child. Yeah. They, they and, fed you. They they clothed you. Right. They they burped you. They they made sure that you went through an education. They burped you. What does that mean? All right then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what I find hard about it is, and this is I know everyone has this one, is realizing they're always right. When your mother or father tell you to do something, sorry, Max. Uh, you don't want to acknowledge that they are right and that you should just drop everything and just do what they say. Because, you know, not most of the time they are right. And uh, we want to try every other way before concluding, oh, that's the way to do it. That's right. Yeah, that's why that one's hard. Yeah. Well, look, uh, but none of them are, are really hard in the sense of, like, you shall learn five different languages fluently. It doesn't, <laughs> none, none, you know, you should become a master physician. No. Or, right. Those are unreasonable yeah, yeah, that's requests. Right. That's right. You shall get a PhD in high energy physics. Yeah. You shall play guitar like Jimi Hendrix in three months. That's right. Knock it. <laughs> uh, 
So anyway, that's you shall not do that. Um, yeah. It's it's just it's kind of basic all these things, and yet people, you know, life is a little bit like the, the movie Willy Wonka. Maybe that's all. That's how I'll leave it. The the Willy Wonka movie is one of my favorite movies because here's a story about a boy. He gets the king to the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, from Willy Wonka. Right? How does he do it? By simply not getting distracted and not engaging in those things that he's told not to engage in. That's how he does it, right? And, and so it is with the Ten Commandments. You want the keys to the kingdom. You want to achieve greatness, goodness, just to be a good person. Just follow the Ten Commandments, folks. It's not that hard. So that's what I wish upon all of us. And you ask about how do we deal with evil. That's the day that evil will stop is when we all observe the Ten Commandments. And that's, that's why we need to look at evil straight in the eye, as it were, as ugly as it is. Uh, because when you do, you realize how imperative the Ten Commandments is to fight evil. Folks, this is Barack Lurie, the Lurie Law Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.